This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 303. Today, we talk to Microsoft's Jessica Dean on Azure DevOps and open source, recorded live May 16th, 2019. For those of us familiar with ShareGate, we know that they've always been about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now that we've all moved to the cloud, like me, you're probably thinking, how about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-serve environment without worrying about thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, AKA sprawl. That's why the folks at ShareGate developed ShareGate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group's governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things they create. Their super simple to use in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users we trust, AKA no more sprawl. Want to get your hands on ShareGate Apricot? Try it for free for 30 days at sharegate.com slash show. AC, how you doing, mate? I'm doing pretty good, CJ. How are you doing? I am okay. Are you ready for SPC? Uh, yes, I, I'm ready for SPC to be over. Uh, <laughs> I am ready for the SharePoint conference. You know, as probably most speakers are doing right now, we're all getting our stuff together and for all the presentations we're doing. So I, uh, I'm ready. I've got a couple things I'm presenting and ready to see everybody, ready to, ready to talk some SharePoint goodness. Excellent. Yes, I am busy before SPC for other reasons. We're a sponsor, and so we're getting a bunch of stuff ready for, for our booth and demos that we're doing and all that sort of stuff. But fortunately, this year, I'm not speaking, so I don't have any of the speaking stress, which is kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, that is nice. I'm doing, I have a full-day workshop on Sunday. I guess by the time this comes out, most of it's already going to be over, but... I had a full day workshop on Sunday on the SharePoint framework for developers, which from what I've seen from the registration numbers, it's going to be a pretty packed room. I've got a breakout session on Tuesday, I think, about introducing the SharePoint framework for people who've never done it. And then I have kind of a deep dive on Wednesday morning related to, what is it? Oh, working with third-party HTTP endpoints from, that are secured with Azure AD from the SharePoint framework. So Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because before the before the conference, I noticed the other day that uh, Paolo, Paolo Piorsori, I always mess that up, his last name up. He's doing a session that is pretty much the exact same thing that I'm doing, but later in the afternoon. So it's interesting. Like, Content uh, and session planning for the win. Exactly. Yeah. So my, my recommendation for people is that if you want to hear about this and set your alarm, come, some, some, yeah, come with me at, at 8.30 in the morning. And if you want to hear SharePoint framework development sound incredibly sexy with an Italian accent, go to Paolo's in the afternoon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's never sounded so elegant. You just have to, when Paolo types, I think he even has to hold his pinkies up, you know, to be nice and elegant. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. <laughs> I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try that. Yeah. So, what else is news? What have you been up to? You're uh, getting ready for the show, obviously. Yep, I'm getting ready for the show, and uh, I did something. Well, I guess you know before we do that, I do. Well, no, we'll, I'll do this first. I did something kind of crazy, especially for people who know me well and have listened to the show quite a bit. Yeah, um, yeah. I migrated everything from Google Drive over to Teams and OneDrive and OneNote. Yeah, you know, I didn't see this coming, honestly. I know that you're a big fan of the simplicity of like Google Docs and Drive and all that sort of stuff. So what motivated the move? 
Was it our episode on sharing? <laughs> no, well, you know, part of it was, part of it was. Um, and I, the one thing that the jury's still out on is the sharing piece for me because I don't do a ton of sharing and I still have some stuff in Google Drive, but the whole, you know, multiple org thing is is just a royal pain in the ass still with Teams. But I get, you know, it's one thing you said, you didn't see this coming. And, uh, you know, I, to be honest, I didn't either. <laughs> but over the course of a couple of days, I was just like, you know, I've been wanting to spend more time in Teams just because it's, you know, everybody around you is using it in your SharePoint space. So I guess it was a little bit of uh, technical peer pressure. But the other thing was is that the thing that was really the crux for me was that so much, when the SharePoint framework released in the last big release they did, they gave us the ability to take a SharePoint framework web part and use it as a custom tab in Microsoft Teams and to use it as a full page app inside yeah. the SharePoint, a SharePoint site. And I was like, there's yeah. a couple little utility things that I've needed to build for myself and for my business. And it just kind of, I was just like, you know what? To be able to use the skills that I already have and be able to really easily create apps and customize teams without having to learn their API. It's like, yeah, that was really the big piece for me. There's that. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. there's a couple things that like my wife and I work on a couple projects together with, um, uh, we're heavily involved with our swim team. And I just felt it was an easier way to share stuff and to have notes. And I would like OneNote and I like it as like a notebook, but yeah. like I'm using Google Drive. It was always just using Google Docs. <clears throat> and I was, so there was a little bit of, the migration of, you know, do I move this doc to a notebook or do I move it to another, to a Word doc and put it in OneNote? But um, yeah, yeah. yeah. The one thing I will tell, I will say is that, you know, I tweeted about this to Omar and uh, Aaron Rimmer at, at Microsoft. <laughs> I know that they, they're well aware that I'm, I don't use OneDrive. Yeah, yeah. So I tweeted to him and Omar was like, oh, I'd love to see a write-up on the, you know, what was good and what was bad. I got to be honest, I haven't run into any bad stuff. There was a little bit of usability thing I thought with like the offline sync, but man, I'm, the files on demand for OneDrive, that client that we have and um, for Mac OS, mm. it's, it was absolutely fantastic. I, I didn't like that when I turned it on, it seemed like everything got pushed to the cloud and got deleted from my machines. So I had to go back in and say, what needs to be kept local? But it's a lot easier to manage than I thought it was going to be. So mm. I haven't mm. had a bad thing yet. I'm hmm. That's good. On wood, though. Yeah, touch wood. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's good. I mean, things have come a really long way and hopefully for the better. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, I'd be interested I, I, in your thoughts on that. Well, and I guess the other thing too that I liked about it is that I like the fact that I have my OneDrive and then I have kind of like separate OneDrive accounts holder, whatever, for each one of the teams and was able to just say, I want to sync that document library, that OneDrive for that team. And so I have like a folder on my machine that is... OneDrive, Andrew Connell's OneDrive, and then I have another folder that's for my org, and it's syncing a couple files from different teams. And so I like that. I like that my stuff is separate from other like project-based stuff. Whereas before, I had like this top-level folder that had everything inside of it, and I had to remember what stuff my stuff was mixed in with other stuff that was shared with other people. And I I didn't like that with Google Drive, and so I do like that that distinction how they've organized that with uh, with OneDrive. Oh, very cool. Well, we will uh, we'll see how your experiment goes. Yeah. So I did that. And then I did want to talk a little bit about uh, one of our sponsors. It's uh, one of our kind of like we're friendly sponsors, I guess, is Collab 365. 
they're doing these virtual summits and they've got a team's virtual summit coming up. And it's a, it's a pretty cool setup where they got a couple days of online content. They're doing the same thing around SharePoint in the future. They've done one for Power Apps. And I think they're doing them for all these different things. So just want to give them a little shout out. It's a pretty cool setup on how they're doing it. If people are looking for more information, like using Teams from a developer point of view, or from an end user point of view, stuff like that. Yeah, nice. That'd be pretty cool. Nice and virtual so you can sit at your desk and watch it. Bingo. Yep. Yep. Excellent. We did have one call out that I thought we should do. Yeah, we should probably say something. You want to say it? He's twisting my arm behind my back right now, so I kind of have, we kind of have to say it. <laughs> A big congratulations to the Bifocal podcast, which is another podcast, strangely enough, by two <laughs> great friends of ours who are celebrating their 100th episode. Yeah. Which is a pretty huge milestone. I vividly remember 100 and thinking, it's incredible we made it this far. (laughs) 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 And so uh, it is a really big milestone to make. So, yeah, big shout out to John and Jason for making it to 100. Very proud of you guys. Yeah, Jason Himmelstein and John White. You guys, it's a... They're good friends of ours outside the podcasting stuff. It's fun to talk podcasting stuff with them and always fun to hang out with them. They podcast is all about Power BI and, and all the business intelligence stuff that you can do with Power BI and some and related like Microsoft tech. So if you're into that, definitely go give them a listen. Hey guys, congratulations on episode 100. I didn't think you guys were going to make it. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. No, it's impressive. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys out uh, out in Las Vegas last week as well. Yeah, next week we'll celebrate in person and uh, drinks are on you. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah, drinks are on you. It's like hitting a hole in one, guys. Congratulations. You got to buy a round for everybody. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You need that hole in one insurance. All right. Hey, let's hear from one of our fantastic sponsors before we get into the meat of the show. Struggling to reproduce problems in your code base? Successful software starts with Raygun. Raygun provides application performance monitoring, unlike anything you've experienced before, offering greater clarity around how your software is performing for your customers than any other APM provider. Easily detect and diagnose issues impacting end users and monitor every part of your stack in one place. It's time to get back to building great software instead of fighting it. Start your journey to better software quality. Try Raygun free at raygun.com today. All right, AC, we've got a really great interview lined up this week that I did at Microsoft's Build Conference here in Seattle uh, last week, I think it was. Uh, Gosh, it feels like an eternity ago. We're going to run with that in a second. But before we do that, there are a couple of quick sort of news items that we wanted to quickly bring up. For all of you SharePoint admins out there listening that haven't heard, apparently SharePoint is under attack. Did you hear about this? Like a real attack or just by all the uh, .NET developers who don't want to do SharePoint development? (laughs) Um, No, literally more of an attack, (laughs) not a metaphorical attack, a actual vulnerability-based attack, which is kind of interesting. So we'll post a link in the show notes to a ZDNet post that says Microsoft SharePoint servers are under attack. Canadian and Saudi cybersecurity agencies warn of attacks that have been going on for at least two weeks. And it all goes back to a vulnerability that is, the CVE is in the um, notes here, but Microsoft patched in a security update in February 
March and April this year, apparently, through several security updates, must be, yeah. But if you haven't gone and patched, then there is a vulnerability that could potentially let an attacker who successfully exploited the vulnerability to run arbitrary code in the context of the SharePoint application pool and the SharePoint server farm account. Eek. That's the first time the Saudis have been involved in one of these like attack warnings, I think, isn't it? Have you? I haven't heard of them being involved in one of these. No, never. Oh. <laughs> I'm looking for the, there's a GitHub post. I think it's probably been taken down now. Oh, no, here we go. There's a console app that shows, I think, how to use it, which is curious. Item picker dialogue. Interesting. Oh, I'm going to have to take a look at this and see what has been something in the business infrastructure. Ah, interesting. Okay. Huh. And, um... Dropping a particular payload. Interesting. Well, I've got to take a look at that vulnerability. Anyway, go patch your servers is the bottom line. Yeah, and of course, if you're in Office 365 or in SharePoint Online and you're not on-prem, you don't have to worry about it. It's already taken care of for you. But uh, yeah. yeah, this goes back, what, to SharePoint Foundation 2013, including Service Pack 1, SharePoint Server 2010, Service Pack 2, SharePoint Enterprise Server 2016. I didn't even know there was an Enterprise Server in uh, SharePoint Server 2019. So everything, really effectively everything since SharePoint Server 2010. Yikes. Yeah, that's obviously been sitting around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Painful. Cool. So other news, Microsoft is launching a new identity management tool on Bitcoin blockchain. <laughs> huh? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm a bit of a blockchain naysayer, honestly. Like, I don't know. I guess it's, I haven't been involved in a project where it makes sense. You know when all you've got a hammer, when all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail? I sort of yep. get that feeling with blockchain. Anyway, Microsoft are trying to do some work around identity with blockchain and are building this thing side by side with Bitcoin, I think. I don't really understand exactly what it does, but Alex Simons from the Azure AD team talked about this a few months ago. And uh, they've got some, the very beginnings of an open source project that you can go take a look at. Yeah, I think it's all about, they're trying to build some sort of decentralized digital identity thing using blockchain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, what is it called? The Identity Overlay Network or ION. Yeah. Mm. Maybe the decentralized identity thing comes from the South Central team. <laughs> oh, I can't help myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, thought I thought their way of protecting stuff was just to take the service down, but... <laughs> yeah. Oh, the burn. Yeah. Oh, the burn. There wasn't some truth to it, you know. Yes, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, yes, that's, uh, that's the news of the week. So, hey, before we get into the interview, just a quick heads up. Jessica Dean is awesome. I sat down with her at the Build conference. We managed to get half an hour or so. She travels the world talking to people about Azure stuff and... She comes from an interesting background, as you'll hear in the in the interview, and um, she was a real pleasure to sit down with, and, and really somebody that I'd seen a bunch of uh, had do a bunch of webinars and speaking in the past, and so it was great for for us to get a chance to sit down and, and talk through what she does and what Microsoft is doing and how they're doing it and how they're trying to build community and all that sort of good stuff. So it was awesome. And uh, a big shout out to Jessica for taking the time to sit down with me and uh, chat with me. But before we get into that, let's hear from one of our great sponsors and then roll the interview. Hey, we all know that sometimes shift happens. 
That's why this spring the inaugural Shift Happens conference will be coming to Washington, D.C. on June 12th to June 13th. Hear from industry heavy hitters, change agents, and innovators as they share digital transformation wisdom. With keynotes by Microsoft's Jeff Tieper and Tony Towns Whitley and analyst insights from Constellation and Forrester Research, this event is not to be missed. Over two days, find out how to get the most out of your Office 365 and SharePoint investments and hear about the successes and failures firsthand from some of the largest and most regulated organizations. For more information, visit www.shifthappenscon.com and use the discount code CLOUDSHOW for 25% off registration for both single and group discounts. Are you being asked repeatedly to integrate different business systems in ever narrower timeframes and with increasing process complexity? What if you could standardize the way you build these business processes so your team are focusing on higher value tasks versus the nuts and bolts of running the processes and integrations? Nintex can make it happen. With a Nintex platform, workflows from person to person, system to system, to the cloud and back. Got a custom system you want to connect with? No-code extensions let you plug into systems simply and easily using REST and Swagger. With Nintex, work just flows, so your teams can work smarter, work faster, and be more connected than ever. Try it out free for 30 days at www.nintex.com forward slash try NWC. Welcome, Jessica, to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Chris. No, you're very welcome. Thanks for coming on and making the time to sit down here at Build 2019 in sort of sunny Seattle today. It's actually been amazing weather. I've been in Seattle, I mean, several times over the years, and this is... It's always like this, though, right? (laughs) Well, so it's supposed to be Seattle's, like, little-known secret, right, that it actually does have good weather for six months out of the year. But most of the time, I think it's usually overcast. If it's not raining, it's because it doesn't always rain, but yep. it's usually at least like overcast. Yeah. This is probably the sunniest I've seen, and it's the one time I did not bring any pair of sunglasses. <laughs> I bring them every other time, and we're like, no, Seattle's like, we're going to rain. We'll we're going to be overcast. It's yep. fine. Yep. This time, I'm like, well, you've been sunny consistently three days in a row. This ah, is fantastic. It's a pretty good week. But yeah. it's, you know, we're here at Build. It's, yeah, it's, uh, awesome. it's been in Seattle for a little while now, a few years, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and it, yeah, it's nice that it puts on this weather for for people. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like putting a, on a show right now. It's almost intern season. Yeah, I feel like we should be hiring interns at this point. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So what are you doing at Build? You're a cloud advocate, right? I am. For Microsoft? I'm a cloud advocate for Microsoft. Specifically at Build, I did a session yesterday. The exact title of the session was From Zero to DevOps Superhero, the mm. Container Edition. I see. And it was a 300-level session, so it was geared to be a little bit more advanced. The Mm -hmm. From Zero to DevOps Superhero really focused on if you are using containers or Mm container-based infrastructure, Kubernetes and Docker, and you're really curious about how if you kind of don't have anything for this project, including Mm -hmm. a pipeline, Mm. how you can get started. You already have this understanding, this familiarity, this experience, but here's a project, you don't have anything. How can you go from zero with this project with your understanding and your fundamental all the way to having a working full Mm. end-to-end pipeline and Mm. doing it with something that's not just Hello World because I think that's overplayed. So even though it's a build conference, I tried to consider all kinds of developers. Mm -hmm. So I chose a Java project, primarily Mm. because I know Java is typically more complicated. Mm -hmm. It has more requirements. Mm. You have Maven dependencies in this particular project. Mm. It's a Spring Boot application. If you have an artifact repository, we ended up using Azure Artifacts to Mm -hmm. host your Maven artifacts. Mm. You can do that with NuGet. You can do 
several other artifact repositories. You mm. just create the feed. I created a video for that, made it live just hours before my session. And it's essentially a 60-minute session where we start with some of the refresher basics of how containers work and how Kubernetes has a reconciliation loop and declarative syntax. And yep. again, there's assumptions that you have some experience and familiarity, so we kind of review that. And then yep. we deep dive into essentially about 40 minutes of a demo Gotcha. Rather than just sitting there and watching PowerPoint, and we start from a GitHub repo with nothing, and then by the end of it, we have a working end-to-end pipeline. Yesterday, Microsoft also announced that we have unified pipelines now Hmm. in Azure DevOps, so you can actually have a full YAML handle your build and your release to different environments, and those environments will also have Kubernetes resources, and the resources can be multi-cloud, so you can have OpenShift, you can Mm -hmm. have Azure, you can have Google. I didn't show the multi-cloud aspect, but I did show resources and environments and what Unified looks like. We did not have time for creation, but I gave people a link to my resource that is the same project we built in our session. Gotcha. So that was yesterday, and that was a lot of what I was doing. And then today I'm doing podcasts, so I get yep. to be here with you. And otherwise, I'm kind of talking to people. Yeah. It was really cool. I got a lot of feedback uh, yesterday after my session, and several asked if, hey, can I borrow 10, 15, 20 minutes of your time while you're yep. here? Can I talk to you and show you what I'm doing? So I, I told them to DM me on Twitter, and we're going to hang out and in the up. registration lobby and, and code and geek out. It's awesome. awesome. Well, it sounds like a really interesting session. It's, um, you know, a lot's changed in Azure DevOps over the last, well, gosh, last few years, I suppose. In the last year, it's changed significantly. I remember, Mm. actually, I think right around this time, Azure DevOps finally had support for, and I don't mean to say finally, but it had support for uh, Helm and Kubernetes. We had extensions that were native. We had them in the marketplace, but we, we brought them into a native aspect of Azure DevOps, which at the time was VSTS. And it was kind of getting started. I wrote a blog post. I remember I was in, I don't know, London or Paris. I was somewhere in Europe when we launched that because Mm -hmm. I went and delivered it at a startup location. I think I was in Paris. It was Startup F was, it's the largest startup location in Paris Mm. or I think in the world because it's literally in a train station. Oh, right. physically the largest. Wow, that's cool. But I went and I got to demo Helms integration, VSTS and all this. And it's crazy to think of how far we've come. We now have unified Mm. YAML builds, releases, deep integration into Kubernetes. I can see my environment, my resource, my pods, my logs on my pods. Like We have come so far in just one year. It's it blows my mind. No, it certainly has changed a lot. And at, you know, my day job, I'm a CTO at a startup, and we're all, you know, from day one, it was all containers and Node and TypeScript and Docker right, right. and all of that sort of stuff. And now we're on Kubernetes. And but I come from a purely Microsoft background mm-hmm. of C sharp and IIS and WinForms way back and VB <laughs> and all these horrible things I don't want to think about anymore. Mm. But watching the tooling and the services that Microsoft are focused on now around the space that's traditionally not Microsoft's forte, mm-hmm. you know, until a few years ago at least, really, yeah. has been amazing. And one of the really interesting things I've noticed is a lot of developers that come from this world of containers and non-Microsoft tech don't fully understand the power of what Microsoft can bring around the tooling and the, the sort of the productivity mm-hmm. of development. Yeah. And so it's really great to see Microsoft sort of flexing its muscle on this Absolutely. Area. I mean, I think it's done, it's done a tremendous investment and, I guess, contribution to the open source community over the past yeah. few years. Mm. Uh, I mean, even per primarily VS Code being one of, I mean, it's the largest GitHub open source project. And then just to see the amount, like the plethora of different mm. kinds 
mm. developers mm. that use VS Code. So whether mm. you're a Java dev or JavaScript or C Sharp or .NET yeah. or I mean whatever you're, I mean C Sharp is .NET, but I mean like ASP.NET versus yep. .NET Core, like. Yep. It's just amazing at how many people are now using it, but then how active Microsoft is in all of these communities. It's mm. no longer just the ASP.NET. It's now kind of, okay, we care if you're using Ruby or Go or Python mm. or you're working on IoT. Mm. This tool can be accessible for all, and we want to also be participating in all of these communities. Mm. So Kubernetes and Helm and mm. I mean, Go and Ruby, I mean, all mm -hmm. of these different communities, it's really kind of Im impressive at how, I guess, kind of grab the bull by the horns yeah. and just kind of go at it and make sure that we help. And that's really been Microsoft's uh, kind of focus. It's It's mm. been amazing to watch. and It's been amazing to be a part of it. That leads me to, to wonder, what led you to Microsoft? What's a little bit of your background and what did that journey look like for you? And why Microsoft? Like, what was that point? Was it something to do with this that made you look at them in a different light and go, ooh, I actually like to be quite, quite like to be part of that? Or like a little bit of that sort of history there. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's a great question. Uh, there definitely was a transition in which I felt I would be more valuable to Microsoft now than maybe at an earlier time. Mm. Uh, so I have actually been around Microsoft for going on 10 years now. So I originally, back in 2009, in April 2009, I was hired as a vendor. I worked on Stephen Rose's team, who actually, I don't oh, know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Microsoft 365 now. But at the time, he was a community manager for the Windows client. Right. And this was before Windows 7 actually launched. Gotcha. Uh, so really going back in the day. Yeah. Because I still, I worked on the team when it launched as a vendor still. So I still remember October 22nd, 2009. It's <laughs> the highlight of my early career. But, and my background was very, very Windows. But at the same time, being a vendor, I was a vendor through, I was kind of like a, I don't know, hopping through a few different sure. vendor companies. Yeah, yeah. So for the company I actually worked for at the time, I was a technician, but I was an Apple technician. Mm. So I had four Apple certifications, but I worked as a vendor on a Windows client team. Huh. And then at a one of my next jobs, I ended up becoming a systems integration engineer on Linux. And so really huh. being active in Linux and open source. So I've always kind of worked with everything. Mm. I'm not mm. married to one particular tool or technology. I've worked with Windows. I've worked with Linux. I have a Mac. In fact, my ecosystem at home is Apple, and that's my mm -hmm. preference. Mm -hmm. I'm known for my terminal. Kind of went viral a few years ago on Reddit, but I also made it work on Windows subsystem for Linux gotcha. on Windows. So I've always had a passion for that. Right. But back then when I worked on that project, because of the focus of Microsoft at that time, still being very, very Windows, mm. and I loved working on the project, I loved working with Steven, I did it for a few years. The contract ended from vendors, mm -hmm. I kept going on and doing my thing. I ended up moving to Florida for a while because yep. I had family out there. Mm -hmm. I worked again for another vendor back at Microsoft, again on another Windows contract. I worked uh, at one point with the Windows Intune team through that contract. Mm -hmm. We had a, a few different things that I've always kind of done. So while I had been around, I never was, I think, ready to abandon the fact that I still liked working with Linux and I still liked working with Apple. Mm -hmm. And I knew the focus at the time, again, was still very Windows. So I could do all three things that I liked by being a vendor and working for their company as a kind of yeah. micromanaging my own career. Sure. But then around... I want to say 2015. I was also an MVP for a while, and I was a Windows uh, a Windows Expert IT Pro MVP. Wow! Because I, I primarily had done a lot of operations and mm -hmm. IT uh, systems administration stuff. Maybe yep. not so much dev, but a lot of the stuff I did in IT was. I would argue development from an automation perspective. So right. I was developing, I was writing scripts, I was writing things that could actually mm. 
almost turn our infrastructure and architecture and our recovery into code. I see where this is going. Yeah, so I was kind of starting <laughs> to put on a little bit of a, a, a slightly developer hat, maybe more like infrastructure development, but yeah. uh, I was kind of already starting there. As an MVP, I was at an MVP meetup, and I was telling somebody, because uh, they wanted me to speak at a conference that was coming up. And I was like, I don't have anything to speak about. No one's ever going to want to listen to me speak about anything. <laughs> like, I don't have anything interesting to say. We all have imposter syndrome. I still have it to this day. And so while I had just gotten done saying that, I was telling somebody else how things were going at my house. I said my air conditioning broke and I had the roof, the townhouse development had the roof replaced and mm. apparently the line set was damaged and so it actually ended up damaging my air conditioning unit. All the Freon escaped from it and I had no insight into the fact that this problem had existed and was broken. Huh. But I had an S thermostat. But the problem is the history only went back to like five yeah, days. Yeah. I had no database, no log, no application that I could go into. Mm. So I forked someone else's and then essentially ran it in a Linux server in my house on VMware ESXi, logged it, maintained it, and then took it back to the roofing company and made them pay for their mistake because I had data to back it up. Nice. And I'm telling this entire story and they're like, and you really think you have nothing interesting to say. <laughs> There's a story. <laughs> so I ended up submitting that to Silicon Valley um, what was it, Silicon Valley, some local conference in Silicon Valley, I can't remember it, SVCC or something, in uh, September, October of 2015. There was a team that was the advocacy team, it used to be called DX or DPE yeah. at Microsoft. Yeah, DPE, yeah. yeah it's yep. now CSE. So the manager of that team, Joe Shirley, overheard me talking, and overheard, it was, I was talking about Linux, right? And I'm talking mm. about like Nest thermostats and open source projects. Again, just being me, and he's like, I, I like you. When we have an opening, are you interested in working for Microsoft? We need people that can talk about that yeah. stuff now. <laughs> and I mean, I'd been around. I was an MVP. I'd been a vendor. Like I wasn't like that far distant from Microsoft. But I'm right. like, wait, you you want me with open source and Linux, and you're interested? Considering this is the talk I just gave, and it was like, yeah, I'm like okay, maybe Microsoft has changed. So in that was again like in the fall, winter almost of 2015, and in March, March 28th of 2016, I started working at Microsoft. Huh. So that was, it was a longer story of how it kind of came, but it was like, I mean, that yeah. was kind of my journey. It wasn't something that I sought out. I happened to be at the right place at the right time. People had to convince me to do things. I was not necessarily, I was definitely more, I wouldn't say I was ever shy as far as being a public speaker, hmm. but I definitely was powered by imposter syndrome. Sure. And definitely yeah. thought no one would want to hear me. And I just kept being authentic and talking about things that were interesting to me and hmm. solved problems. And now I literally get to travel the world and still be an engineer at the core of it. I still write code. I still yeah. am very active in my communities, but now I get to still talk about things that I believe will solve problems for yeah. people, for yeah. other engineers. Now you got a whole job out of it. I got a whole job yeah. out of it and it wasn't necessarily intentional. And at Microsoft that you've that you've sort of worked alongside and known for quite a while, but also in an area that's still relatively new to, to Microsoft. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of those things that was kind of nice is I was still very early in, I guess, my career because I hadn't done a great deal of public speaking in that sense. I hadn't mm -hmm. done a great deal of sessions. I mean, I had engineering experience and, I mean, value, I guess, that I could offer in that sense, but... Mm. I was definitely learning and growing, and that's where Microsoft is and was still as mm. well. So it, there was grace, right? I could learn and grow together, right? And it was okay to to learn, which yep. I think was another really great message to get as an employee was that I wasn't expected to just go and be perfect, right? Which I think for a lot of engineers right. is we think we have to write perfect code, we have to do this perfectly, but yep. we're human. And also Microsoft knowing that it was in the process of learning and growing in this area as well as yeah. obviously. And still does. It's um, 
sort of went nicely hand in hand. It did. It was yeah. it was really nice. It was perfect. So as a cloud advocate, as a traveling... It sounds like global. I asked you before we went on the show, where do you normally hang out? In terms of, you know, which area... Map. And throw it out at the map, was it? And, and that sort of that kicked us off talking about where in the world you've been and, and what you do. So what does it look like as a cloud advocate? What is your job? What are you supposed to go and do? Is it... Obviously, a fair amount of speaking is involved and, and making sure Which it doesn't sure have to be. That's my choice. I see. So I see. it does not have to be speaking. We have advocates that do their job without necessarily public speaking mm. a significant amount or even advocates that don't speak. Primarily at the core of being a cloud advocate is you are connecting with your communities. Mm. First and foremost, for me, because we have different types of advocates, but first and foremost, I am an engineer. I do code. I feel more authentic when I get to sit down and actually sure. work on a project and write and contribute something, make a pull request, feel like I did something. Yeah. But then after that, I do want to go and engage with my communities. I want to talk about what I worked on. I want to listen to what you worked on. I want to mm. actually have a conversation and really make sure that we foster that community growth. Mm. And I want to say that that's what a cloud advocate is, is really fostering mm. that community, making sure that we can also be a liaison. I'm very fortunate in the position I'm in working with Microsoft, mm. where I have really great relationships with various product teams, mm -hmm. with the AKS team, with the WSL team for mm. Windows subsystem for Linux, mm -hmm. with the Azure DevOps team. I have these open lines of communication. So mm. I can really have a really great conversation with various conference attendees or community mm. members or people from meetups and really kind of get good feedback that I can then go back to the product teams and kind of point out, hey, this is the mm -hmm. pulse of the community and here's what we're hearing and how can we address that and deliver mm. value mm. here. So, I mean, I guess that's more of what I do. It's really kind of to foster this community growth and really kind of build a bridge between Microsoft and yeah. engineers and doing it from a really authentic perspective because I've been there too. Yeah, I mean, you don't hold credibility if you're not doing it for the right reasons and for yeah. the right from the right perspective, right? So I think that's um, obviously really critical. So you've been at, at the Cloud Advocate job for how long now? A couple of years? Yeah, I started in, like I said, uh, March of 2016. So I just had my okay. four-year anniversary. Gotcha. And over that time... It's a three-year anniversary. I'm sorry, I can't do math. 2016, 2017, 2018. I'm starting my fourth year. There you go. Over that time, how would you characterize how the community's changed in terms of its feeling about Microsoft or the use of its cloud products, for example? I imagine, you know, stepping into those, some of those communities initially, it was about building, building trust over time, I imagine, right? Yes. And, and would have taken quite a bit of groundwork just to get the plane off the ground to begin with. And how have you felt that's gone? It's obviously come a really long way, but how do you think Microsoft's doing, I guess, in that, I, I in that mean, respect? I think it's come quite a long way. I still remember, so you talked about really building, essentially building bridges between communities and rebuilding mm. trust. Mm. And I say rebuilding because coming from my background, especially with Linux and open source, there's a lot of trust that we really did have to rebuild with the Linux community mm. specifically. Mm. And I still remember one of the very first conferences that, or Linux-focused conferences that I spoke at in 2017 was Linux Fest Northwest. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my conferences, even though I do travel and do this, I still submit to speak to conferences. I'm in mm -hmm. the same submission process and same submission pool sure. as everyone else. It's not just invites. So I had accepted talks, getting accepted talks to, to big Linux and open source conferences like Jenkins World mm. and Linux Fest and KubeCon and all yep. those conferences that are, I mean, not Microsoft-associated. Mm. Linux Fest Northwest 2017, I was the only person from Microsoft there. 
and I was the only person who had been there in a few years. And everyone's reaction was, you're from Microsoft? <laughs> Why? It was very apprehensive. The same thing had happened at a few meetups was, uh, I still remember somebody actually, I had a very good conversation for like 30 minutes. And then the guy's like, hey, so what company do you work for? I'm like, Microsoft. His face like lit up. He was, you work for the evil conglomerate? Like he never would have guessed. So the reaction from, I mean, even just two years ago yeah. to now has been just tremendously different. It's like yeah. a polar opposite. Mm. Every now and then, I mean, I will get invited now. Now it's, we do want you to come. Sure. I spoke at Jenkins World. I had earned sessions, not sponsored, not paid for, at Jenkins World SF and Europe last year. And at the end of the one in Europe, I did an entire session using Jenkins and using, I've taken Croc Hunter, which is this app that I use in <laughs> Kubernetes around the world now. I've kind of bastardized it and like done it in every language, every conference. I have it. You get to hunt crocodiles and you either shoot lasers or fish. So now I upgraded it and you shoot sometimes little butlers or little Azure logos and I just had fun with it. But somebody had asked why I didn't do this with Azure DevOps or VSTS. I'm like, because it's Jenkins World and because we we want to meet you where you are. Like it doesn't, I think people still sometimes expect this level of propriety, Mm. but I refuse to deliver that. I'm like, where are you and how can I meet you there? And yeah. that's the content that I want to deliver, and that's the focus that I'm empowered by Microsoft to deliver. Yeah, I gotcha. So it, it's really about customer empathy, right? Customer Having... empathy, and then kind of showing you on how you don't have to abandon your current investment. Mm. Azure can still scale and work with whatever you're using. Azure DevOps can do that. Other partners can do that. Really, where are you? What mm. tools are you already using? And how can we help you make it better? Well, Azure obviously doing extremely well now. The numbers speak for themselves, and the results are obviously going really, really well. Yeah, it's been impressive to see the growth. Yeah, obviously Microsoft has a bunch of strengths and enterprise and things which certainly help. I sort of personally feel like the startup space is probably sort of a weak point for Azure in some respects where, you know, just the other day I had a friend of mine who's spent a year going deep on AI and learning, machine learning and things like that, right from first principles, right? He's taken a year off and just gone to universities and done courses on calculus and all sorts of stuff to try and build his knowledge. Yeah, to really learn. And he he's a an ex-Microsofty through and through. And he came to me and he said, you know, like, just getting off the ground with some of these AI tools and things like TensorFlow and all the stuff is just easier on AWS today. And, and he's that's, like, I mean, that's really valuable and really great feedback because it's an area, it's an opportunity for growth for, for Microsoft and for Azure. I do know that the startup space, we actually have startup advocates that are geared just to integrate with okay. startup advocacy, sorry, with startup engineers and startup communities. Right. We have the same thing with enterprise. We have the same thing with education. We now actually restructured kind of our advocacy team to make mm. sure that we integrate more with core communities, gotcha. not based on language of developers, but now your goal yeah. so that we can be even more effective. That makes so sense. We are really focusing on driving that liaison in the community communication channel per community. Right. really further, like we want to continue to grow and amplify that. So we yeah. do have startup advocates that will focus on just that feedback yeah. and hopefully be able to deliver in a way that... Makes sense to that community. Makes sense, yeah. yeah. I guess for me it feels like so much of that is, is just based on lack of education and just what they're familiar with. You know, they, there's tons of these startups coming out of Valley and, and all that sort of stuff and, and they just see what others are using and they just default to that by default without yeah, really course. looking around. And so, so much of it is is about education and seeing what Microsoft has to offer, right? And I think at the core of that, if you take 
that basic principle, that's really how we all learn everything, right? Like even mm-hmm. taking cloud and companies out of it. When you go back to the core of how you learned whatever technology, mm-hmm. I think of if you learn terminal on any kind of NIC system, right? Mm-hmm. They usually always tell you, no one's going to say jump into Vim and start going, right? It's always going to be Pico or Nano. <laughs> Only if they're really mean. <laughs> exactly. So you're like, okay, touch a file and then Nano edit that file. Like yep. you always start with the basics, yep. which is really, that's what then becomes your foundation. Like, okay, well, I'm just going to use this because that's what I was taught. But mm. once you start understanding some of the benefits and some of the things you can learn, while more complicated, sure. you slowly start growing in your career. Yeah. And that can translate to any kind of cloud technology, any kind of cloud provider or company. It's the same with anything. Is you kind of have to you have mm. to learn the foundations, you go a little bit deeper, and then you really kind of get to personalize something. So somebody else has a preference to use this, you use mm. a preference to you have a preference to use that. Mm. We are all unique and different and we all have our own reasons mm. for our own workflows. And then it starts to just become even more, I guess, powerful when we can all collaborate with those different unique perspectives. Mm. And I guess that's also the hope from a startup perspective is maybe it is easier on competitor clouds. Maybe we do have an opportunity for growth or maybe we need to get more education out there. Mm. Maybe we need to have more collaboration as far as why I do my workflow this way. And mm-hmm. if AWS does it that way, maybe we need to align and see how we can, I guess, work together even better. Sure, sure. That brings me to another topic that I'm really interested in that I think you'd offer some interesting perspective on, that that a lot of all this stuff is still, in the grand scheme of things, is still super new to... Yes, it is. ...will be super new to a lot of our listeners. And you're out there spending time with customers and partners every day. How do you feel things are going when with sort of traditional Microsoft developers and traditional Microsoft shops that are having to start to think about, you know, cloud technologies and building using different types of architectures that they're not used to and things. Where do you think we're at in that transition or that, I guess it's a change of tides in some respect. Yeah, Um, I mean, I think overall the industry is changing, right? Like, I mean, we've really kind of shifted over the last decade. I think... 2020 is supposed to be titled like the ubiquitous era, whereas Mm. this era, like 2010 to 2020, I guess, was more of like the mobile phone, smartphone, that kind of like mobile first kind of era. And now we're kind of getting into microservice architecture, every person has like 10 different devices, no longer just a computer and cell phone. Right. And you go back to 15 years ago and it's like you had one computer per household. Mm. Like technology is growing and is shifting. So with that perspective in mind, I think engineers as a whole, and Mm. I'm not going to separate people from developers or IT pros or like enterprise or whatever, Mm -hmm. we're all engineers because we're Mm -hmm. all engineering or creating something. We are all building something. Whether it's architecture, software, the architecture software runs on, infrastructure, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We're all learning that there is a shift and that there is a change in this industry. So we really kind of have to address how we're going to scale with that growth. Mm. And that, to scale in any regard, is going to require adjustments, is going to require mm. some growth. Mm. Growth sometimes can be painful. When mm-hmm. you think about going through puberty and growing, right? Yeah. It's, it's painful. It's not comfortable. Sure. So there's going to be some uncomfortable parts. And mm. with discomfort is also going to come some rewards. So I think... We're starting to accept that. We're starting to realize that. And I'm noticing that with a lot of the customers, a lot of the partners, they're trying to adopt new cloud technologies, new ways of doing things. For the developers, developers are learning to start, I guess, consider things like load balancers and networking and services Mm -hmm. and what happens outside of just their application running. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, operations engineers are learning about 
like code and source control mm-hmm. and even YAML. You're now having to mm-hmm. actually start writing your pipeline in something that's a definition that you're checking in. So there's growth on both sides that's happening. And I think that's happening for even on-prem because mm. now we're starting to see the need of just because my server is on-prem doesn't mean I don't need some sort of CI, CD system right. in place for DevOps. Right. And how can I integrate this over to also Kubernetes or mm-hmm. cloud? Or how can I work with these new technologies? Mm-hmm. So I think at the very least or at the core of it, people are realizing these conversations need to happen and they're starting to look into it. As far as how they're implementing it, that conversation becomes a little bit more personal and targeted depending on the customer or the partner. But the really cool thing is is we have awesome companies and partners in the community Mm. that are working to continuously simplify Mm. that experience and that learning curve so that we can have something be easy and accessible for all. So if somebody's sitting here listening to this going, this sounds awesome, I want in. I'm unhappy with doing things that you know, the status quo and the mm-hmm. way I've always done it. But what have you seen resonate as a great way for people just to sort of dip their toes and start getting a feel for some of these new things and and start learning, I guess, without saying, oh, I've got to go get a new job to figure this stuff out. <laughs> I mean, you, so you have a new job. You still have to start reading material. You still sure. have to go and learn. Yeah. You still have to do research. You don't have to go get a new job to have a new title. Right. You can learn at any point. So I would really say that there's a ton of great resources online. There's YouTube content you can go watch. Mm. Follow people on Twitter. There's a ton of people mm. that if you're interested in DevOps, if you're interested in Kubernetes or serverless, there's really great people in the communities all across the board, all across the, the different cloud providers or companies that you can go follow. Kelsey Hightower is great. Mm-hmm. On the Azure team, we have Gabe Monroy, who heads mm-hmm. up our AKS and cloud. We've had so, him on the show before. Yep. I think build last year, I think. Yeah. Gabe is awesome. Sean McKenna is awesome. Lockie Evans who's a principal engineer, principal program manager for AKS, mm-hmm. Ralph Squalachi. There's a ton of different videos of, as far as Kubernetes, understanding mm-hmm. Kubernetes and Docker in five minutes. I think VMware created that mm. video. It's on YouTube. I blog very heavily. You Somebody follow- wrote a child's book, right? Oh, about- yeah. We have the children's. There's two children's child's books. Uh, they're illustrated Kubernetes books with little Fippy, Flippy. I can never say the name. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The little um, giraffe. The giraffe, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those ones are cool. There's a ton of different like fun resources. Microsoft specifically also has a Learn platform where it's mm. Microsoft.com forward slash learn, and you can go get resources. It's like almost like the old school kind of MVA, but more modernized tutorials for technologies. That's a really great resource. There's YouTube videos. I've created YouTube videos about ingress controllers and Nginx and how to do that in Kubernetes, Mm -hmm. starting from a bare cluster. And the cool thing is because Kubernetes is cloud agnostic, everything I walk through is independent of AZ, Mm. or I was going to say Azure CLI, but it's independent of AKS, so you can use it with anything. Hmm. There's a lot of great content out there. So I'd say start from just learning something, go follow people. And that also will start conversations and start, you just go over and ask people questions. Gotcha. The other really great resource is the Azure DevOps project. So if you don't have any infrastructure, any architecture, any pipeline, or any idea of what tasks you would even run for Kubernetes and how to get started, the Azure DevOps project will actually create all the architecture, all the infrastructure, all the scaffolding even for your pipeline. Hmm. And if you don't have an Azure DevOps account, they'll even give you the option to create an account. Uh, If you do have an account, it'll create a project Hmm. for you. It'll give you sample code. And it'll do all of this based on, it has four steps it walks you through. It asks you to choose a language, to choose a framework, to choose a service that you want to deploy to. Mm -hmm. So you can do AKS, Service Fabric, you can do Web App, you can do Linux Web App, Windows Web App. 
My personal favorite is you can also go back to 2001 and deploy straight to a virtual machine if you want to go uh, uh, archaic. But if you wanted to do Kubernetes, you choose Kubernetes and you give it a project name and you go through all the different like information pieces. Yeah. And then it builds everything for you. It takes a whopping 15 minutes. And then you have all this. Hmm. And it'll give you, again, sample code. You can take the sample code out and drop your code in, and you can kind of start tweaking the stuff it gives you. Gotcha. The sample code it gives you for Kubernetes will give you a Helm chart. And it actually even has the Helm chart already provisioned to use an application insights key. Gotcha. So your instrumentation key. So you can even have insights into your application running in your container on Kubernetes. That's really nice. So it sort of scaffolds the whole lot. Everything. As so opposed to having to learn each little piece you can it go get gives the whole you everything done. and then you can go dissect and learn by then having those conversations and watching the the kubernetes content on youtube that's or great microsoft or google or amazon there's content out there it's just a matter of going and playing with it yeah yeah. I think that would be my preferred model of stamping something out and then sort of picking at different pieces of it and, yeah. and seeing and learning how they work and how I can tweak things and change stuff to make it different. Well, and I think everyone's different in how they learn, but I think of like the story that I shared on how I fixed my, I wanted a logging system essentially for my thermostat. For me, the best way that I learn is I find a problem and then I want to find a solution. Yeah. In fact, I've, I've been a manager before in previous jobs and I'd always tell my staff, you identify the problem. I don't need you to come to me with a problem. It's yeah. great that you did. Thank you. Uh, but please come to me with a solution. Like it's that's the more fun part, right? Like, I want so you, solutions, no excuses. Well, and it, I'm not trying to be hard like that, but it's more so of everyone can find the problem. We all can sit here and say there's a problem, but let's find a solution. So right. to me, that's how I learn. If I have some sort of like demo environment or sandbox environment that I could play with to learn, now yeah. I can start saying, okay, here's my personal problem. I have the sandbox environment. I want to solve a problem. Let me throw my problem into the sandbox and start learning the solution. Right, right. So where to from here? What's next for you? So oh, we're gosh. at Build, obviously, now. You, we are. You travel the world. Are there a particular events you have coming up that yes. uh, listeners that are in that area or going to those events could come and see your sessions or your speaking engagements and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So build right now. I'll be here for another uh, day and a half, and then I, I go back home for a few days. The next place for work that I'm off to is going to be Belgium. Uh, I fly out there in a little bit over a week, I think. I'm going to be at Tecarama, Belgium, in Antwerp, Belgium. Mm -hmm. And then I'll hop over from there, pardon me, to uh, Barcelona. So mm -hmm. I'll be there for KubeCon Europe. I'll come home from Barcelona. I'll be home, I think, for a few days. And then I will be in New York City for, we're doing a event with CodeFresh, which is a oh, Kubernetes yeah. pipeline, CICD yep. tool. Love them. They also have really great resources and webinars they're doing, I think, weekly. Hmm. Uh, Dan Garfield is incredibly brilliant with how he comes up with all of his different ideas for anywhere from deep dives to getting started. Like it's, hmm. He has something for everyone. But we're partnering with CodeFresh to do a workshop on how to get started with an AKS cluster, how to bring it over to CICD, specifically mm. for Kubernetes. So CodeFresh is very Kubernetes-focused, Helm and Docker, mm -hmm. getting started with that, and then also working with Aqua for container security, which <sighs> Kubernetes, or not Kubernetes, sorry, CodeFresh has uh, integration directly to Aqua to also do image scanning as well and I get see. reports back. So we'll have an event there. I think there's an Eventbrite link for doing that. That's on June 4th in NYC. But the night before, because I love trying to arrange any kind of community meetup and getting this content out to everyone, we also arranged a meetup at the Microsoft office in Times Square Monday night on June 3rd. And CodeFresh and I are also going to do a joint session that's just going to be publicly, hey, here, come to our meetup kind of thing. Awesome. Yeah. 
We well, don't even have a session abstract or anything yet. We're, we're going to get one for the meetup, <laughs> but it's pretty much of, hey, we want to come hang out and geek out and have an opportunity to connect with people. So that's going to be that event. Like I said, that's the beginning of June. After that, I think is June 17th through 19th is Swamp Up. It's a, by hmm. J, a company called JFrog. JFrog does Swamp Up every year. This is the first year it's going to be in San Francisco, but I will be speaking at that event as well. For any of the events that I'll be at, I have a calendar on my blog. It's if you hmm. go to jessicadean.com and hit availability, it's actually a calendar right there. It tells there. you where I am and what event and when I'm available to speak and when I'm not. Or for, because I also work on a, a DevOps team. Mm-hmm. You can also go to the LOECDA, which is the League of Extraordinary Cloud DevOps Advocates. (laughs) It's a mouthful. But if you go to LOECDA.com and hit talks, you can see where all of us are. That's uh, Abel Wang, Stephen Murkowski, Damian Brady, and Donovan Brown, and myself. And we have a list of all our different sessions and our entire team. Awesome. And so jessicadean.com, yes. at Twitter as well? Is at JL Dean. Perfect. Yeah, and there's no relation to James Dean, so my last name is D-E-E-N. <laughs> D-E-E-N, there you go. Yeah. There's no um, fiery crashes in a Porsche in your future. Uh, hopefully not. It. I don't own a Porsche, so Good, hopefully. good. That's probably I, a good I own omen. a, I have a forerunner because I do like off-roading, so that's a little bit hard to... I'm hoping, <laughs> knock on wood, it's hard to blow up. I do have a WRX, but I don't drive crazy with that. So Fair enough. Yeah. All right, well, I, we really appreciate you coming on the show, talking a little bit about what you do in your background and what's going on in the world of DevOps and containers and Kubernetes and how Microsoft is participating sort of wholeheartedly these days and yeah. in that community and how you're engaging. And it's been absolutely fascinating. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on, on the show. This is awesome. We'll have to have you back on at some point in the future to, I'd love that. to reconnect on um, maybe next time at Build or, or yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Let's do it. Thanks again. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. CJ's Hyperfish automates the collection of user profile information from users in organizational directories such as Office 365, SharePoint, Active Directory, and HR systems. The secure service supports on-premises, hybrid, and online environments. Bring your directory to life at hyperfish.com. AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. All right, AC. Great piece, uh, great chat with Jessica there. But of course, as any show goes, there are goodies at the end. What do you got for us this week, buddy? I've got two picks for us this week. I have found another a new podcast that I have absolutely fell in love with. It's fascinating. It's well done. It's very Bifocal? casual. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> I've known about that one for a while. <laughs> oh, I see. A new one. Gotcha. Yeah, this is a new one. So this is called The Armchair Expert, and I've got a link to it on the show, So, or in the show notes. This is by a guy named Dax Shepard, which he's an actor. You might be familiar with him. He was Crosby in the show, the TV show Parenthood, but he's been in a lot of different, a lot of different shows. He's been in a lot of different movies and stuff. You, you'd recognize him when you, go to, when you go to the show and you see him. He's the guy that kind of looks like, he looks like a bit of a dumbass. He's got that kind of duh look on him. But <laughs> when you listen to him on the show, he's actually really sharp. It's a neat format. So they interview somebody and it's very casual, but you can tell that, they've done their research to have a really intelligent conversation with the guy or the gal that's on that's being interviewed. And then they have, after about halfway through the show, they're done with the interview, and then they do a fact check where they go back and things they talk about, 
his assistant or his co-host on the show researches some of the things that were said and either calls BS on them or clarifies it or provides additional detail mm-hmm. on what that thing was. So there are two specific episodes that I found I absolutely love. One is by a guy is with a guy named Dr. Eric Topol, who my wife listened to this and she mentioned it to me and she said, Hey, you might be interested in this because it deals with artificial intelligence and healthcare and all that stuff. And I mean, part of me to be completely frank, I, I saw, I was like going, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not deep in AI, but I understand what it does and deep learning. I get the value in it, but I mean, how much you can really get out of it. It was a really interesting interview. It was a really interesting interview. That's really cool. You know, somebody that I have been listening to along similar lines, now these are way less, way, way, way less consumable, but other Joe Rogan Experience podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does amazing interviews, but they're super long. They're like two and a half hours long. Yeah. But his one with Elon just absolutely blew my mind, right? I don't know if you've heard that one. That was fascinating. And the other one was Brian Cox, the astrophysicist. And oh. that was incredible too. Really incredible. You know, I've been meaning to subscribe to that one. I felt like I was living under a rock and I had not heard of it until the Elon smoking pot episode. Yeah, and yeah. After, and then I realized like, oh, you're totally missing out because that's what everybody's talking about. So I finally went and uh, I've been meaning to go through and to, to subscribe to it. So now- That's I, a good one. But you've I, got to dip in and out of it. There's so much content, you can't get through it. What? So I just pick which ones look interesting and have a listen. That's a lot of like how this one is too. They do, they're longer. They're like on the hour and a half, two hour thing long, but they're great. So the, the Dr. Eric Topol one was great. And then I thought it was freaking hilarious. Bill Nye, the science guy, I just finished that one. This Bill Nye is an absolute freaking riot. And he's he's so just blunt. He, I, you think about this science guy being all prem and proper and being nice and everything. He's dropping a couple curse words in there. He's nice. um, some of the stuff he talks about, the part about religion, which I'm not going to go into to start alienating some of our audience, but I thought was absolutely hilarious when he talked about dinosaur bones. Gotcha. <laughs> you got to listen to it. I, I'll re- when we stop recording, I'll explain what he said. You, it was absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I wouldn't listen to the Brian Cox episode if you're if you get upset about having a discussion about religion. Let's put yeah. it that way. It gets into the origins of the universe and all that, and it may not gel with your beliefs if you're you know that way inclined. Well, and that's that's exactly what the that's exactly what the part was to do about it. But anyway, so yeah, that's that's one of my picks. The other one of my picks is um, an article by Wired. The title of the article is "NASA Needs 1.6 Billion More to Send a Human to the Moon," which they just got their budget. It's I think it's somewhere around 21 billion dollars is what the Trump administration asked Congress for back in March, and they've asked for an amendment saying we need another 1.6 billion. Now, it's mostly about we want to get to the moon, and this is kind of a down payment on keeping things, keeping the lights on, on the whole, you know, going back to the moon and establishing a presence there. But there was something I found kind of interesting. So the name of, if you know anything about what's going on with NASA and the space program, then you're going to find this somewhat ironic. But the name of the mission that they're going to use to go back to the moon is called Artemis, right? So that's the name of the program that you're using. Yeah. But here's what's kind of funny about it. So you know that Artemis is a name from mythology. And yes. in mythology, do you know what Artemis did? Uh, twin sister of Apollo. Artemis killed Orion. Oh, interesting. See, see the irony here? Because yeah. Orion is the capsule that's supposed to sit on top yeah. of SLS and supposed yeah. to be the thing that we you know use that to go to the moon. So it's like, wait a minute. 
Why'd you Are call you it killing that? Orion? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's curious. But also, I love the Apollo link as well. Same. Pretty Same, sweet. Yeah. So those are my two picks. Nice. Along similar lines, I've got one here. Apollo rocks showed how the moon was made, and now they're about to solve more mysteries. So the Apollo program, I didn't know how much of this stuff was brought back, but there was like loads of material taken from the moon during the Apollo program, like pounds and pounds and pounds, like tens and tens of pounds of stuff. And I'll just make a quick quote from the article that we're linking to here. With less than 10 minutes to go before the end of his moonwalk, Armstrong used tongs to pile about 20 rocks into a specialized collection box. Deciding it wasn't full enough, he scooped an additional 13 pounds of lunar soil into the container. And anyway, then it goes on to basically say, a whole bunch of those samples were used for research, but a a whole lot of samples haven't been opened since the Apollo missions because they wanted to keep the purity of the samples until they had better equipment and, you know, like new analysis techniques and things like that. Mm. So with the 50th anniversary opening up, they are going to open a couple of those and subject them to new sets of tests. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Interesting, huh? That's really cool. Yeah. Three new samples will be released for analysis, samples that no scientist has ever touched. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty cool, man. Isn't that awesome? New stuff. That's a good pick. And then finally, on a bit of a humorous note, our guest pick this week is from Brian Laws, who sent us a video, a link to a video up on YouTube, which is a throwback to when Bill Gates was talking about SQL Server (laughs) and a commercial or some sort of interview that was filmed, you know, debating the benefits of SQL Server with a guy called Edward Esper, former CEO of Ashton Tate. And it's just super cringeworthy. (laughs) It's just so dorky and awesome but ultra cringeworthy at the same time. It's just awfully staged and horribly just, oh God, it's just painful to watch. But anyway, really hilarious to watch nonetheless. And uh, thank you very much to Brian for sending us that in, who will be getting a wonderful solo key for FIDO2 authentication. Awesome. That was a video. It was super awkward to watch. It was like so incredibly staged, but um, yeah, it was funny. It was good. It was good. (laughs) I love those throwbacks. There's also one with uh, Satya Nadella doing Excel or something with SQL. I can't remember what it was now. And Jeff Tipper as well, who used to be his boss. No kidding. Oh yeah. Jeff Tipper hired Satya to Microsoft. Oh man. Yeah. Did not know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty awesome, huh? All right, AC. I'll see you in Vegas next week. We will reconvene there for some shenanigans, fun, and some SharePoint. And um, we will see you all next week. Sounds good to me, man. Hey, have a stuff flight over there, Uh, not just to you, but to everybody else. And we will see everybody at the SharePoint conference. Rock on. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in iTunes. Word of mouth recommendations are the most effective ways for us to grow the show. We'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as an MP3 or WAV file and provide a link so we can play your question on the show. Our theme music is brought to you by Keith Ritchie. 
For more information on Keith's music, head to music.kritchie.com. You can subscribe to us in iTunes and Google Play Store by searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or via RSS at microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll also find show notes of each episode. You can also find us on Facebook searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or on Twitter at MS Cloud Show. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to our website and entering your email to interact with us, participate in upcoming interviews, and other cool stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.